Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears? Happy New Year to you. If you're listening to this Thursday, you got to get through tonight to make it to tomorrow, which would mean Happy New Year, the beginning. So make it through tonight. Those of you who are listening to this on Thursday, please drive carefully. If you you can, I don't want to be a buzzkill, but don't fucking go out at all. How would that be if you're not alone and you have some people in your life and you love them and you're you have relatively easy access to getting over there or them coming to you before sundown? Do that. Well, maybe I am being a buzzkill. Do whatever you got to do. Go party. Stay up all night. Do a bunch of blow. Get all fucked up. But God, get a ride, will you? Just get a ride. Or maybe just reflect a bit. Reflect a bit. I do want to say a a few words about the passing of Lemmy Kilmister. Lemmy was in on this show. I I don't know if it was his last interview. And um, it was interesting for me to spend time with that guy because I, I know, I know Motorhead. I know the first couple records. I listened to them, but you know, Lemmy has been a warrior, a rock and roll warrior and ever almost seemingly eternal presence. And Rock, if you didn't know Lemmy, if you didn't know Motorhead, you knew Lemmy's face. You knew those carbuncles on the side of his face. You knew that mustache. You knew the attitude that came through even a, a still image of that guy. You knew he meant it. You knew he meant business. You knew, you knew he was the real fucking deal in a world where there aren't that many real deals. So for me, it was an amazing treat and honor to talk to the guy. I think we had a nice interview. I knew he didn't look well. I knew he didn't feel well. But that doesn't make it any easier to, uh, to lose a guy and to, uh, to have to deal with that. But as I said, uh, Lemmy was fucking rock and roll. Lemmy was the real fucking... D- he lived it. And he lived it all the way to the end on his own terms with a lot of fuck you in him. And that's what good rock and roll requires. Just the right amount or even a little bit more than necessary of fuck you. So Lemmy, you will be missed. And I did want to, uh, to, 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 
give you a heads up. There was some some great Lemmy talk, a great Lemmy story um, on uh, episode 656 of WTF with Robert Trujillo and Flea talking bass, talking about Lemmy. Uh, Lemmy, the interview I did with him, is still up and available. Uh, that's episode 634. And I just, if you didn't listen to it or you don't know who Lemmy is or it's not necessarily important to you, I, I just want to share this clip with you. It's a, it's a clip of Lenny, and he's telling a joke. And um, it's, it's actually pretty touching hearing him tell it now, you know, given that, that we've, we've lost him. And uh, so, so enjoy this side of Lemmy, all right? And then go listen to Ace of Spades. What's your favorite joke, Lemmy? On the radio? Yeah, no, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're free to say whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, yeah, probably the best one I got was uh, Jesus walking around heaven, you know, checking everybody out. Yeah. And everybody's blissful fucking harps and yeah. halos and that. And she's this little old fella sitting in a corner, crying his fucking eyes out, you know, miserable as fuck. And he says, excuse me, he said, you're in heaven, you know what I mean? He said, people go to church five times a week, every week of their lives to get up here. He said, you're here, you've made it, so what's the matter? The old guy says, well, he said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cause any trouble, he said, but when I was on earth, I was just a poor carpenter, you know, and we had nothing. And we had this little boy, and I wanted him to follow me into the carpentry business, you know. But then he said he had to go away on a mission, and he went off into the desert with 12 fellows, and we never saw him again, he said. And I was hoping, he said, that when I got up here, you know what I mean, I'd see him again, but I'd lose everywhere and I can't find him. He's really cracking me up. And Jesus, with tears streaming down his face, goes, Father! And the guy says, Pinocchio! (laughs) (laughs) Rest in peace, Lemmy. You left some good stuff. Thanks for coming by this planet, this garage. So now let's talk about New Year's. New Year's. The new year. Again, fucking be careful, will you? Could you please just be careful out there? I don't know, man. I, you know, are you really, do you really need to be somebody to count down? How many times have you been in a, just a, just a, a room full of idiots? Or I've said before, I think I say it every year, how many times have you been in the car when the clock strikes 12 just like oh this this party's fucking spent this party's done this party's over this party blows let's just go let's just get to let's get to other place man let's get there before 12 and there you are in the car along with a bunch of other idiots in cars trying to get to that right party honking your horn at new year's giving a hug to whoever's in the car, giving him a kiss, and then having a minute or two into the new year where, where you got to be like, well, that sucked, kind of. Glad you guys are here. Glad you're here, baby. Should we just get something to eat or what? What I do is I stay home. That's what I do. Maybe watch a few minutes of the ball dropping. I never understood that ball drop. 
I guess it happens to everybody. <laughs> That's a fucking horrible joke. Happy New Year to you, though. And look, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Try this. Even if even if it wasn't a good year for you, even because I'm going to do this. I got to. I'm, I'm saying this out loud to myself. Yeah, but but I had a good year. It, there were ups and downs. There was emotional issues. There were mistakes made. But th- this is it. It's there's no such thing as a clean slate anymore with the internet, <laughs> is there? No more clean slates. But there is a new year, and there is a moment here where you can take a second. And just look at some of the good things, even if it stunk, even if it was terrible. There's got to be something to be grateful for. You got to be grateful to be alive, even if that is not all it's racked up to be on any given day. There's got to be some gratitude. There's got to be some self-acceptance. Give yourself a break. Don't hurt yourself tonight. It's a little recovery trick. Make a gratitude list and, and just feel it. Because I blow right through it. But there are things to be grateful for. There are problems. There are personal problems. There are problems in the world. But maybe, you know, just just reflect a little bit on, my, on what you might do differently, but also on what you're grateful for. And if you have love in your heart or in your life, be fucking thankful for that. If you're capable of that and it exists within you. Maybe things will turn out better globally, politically, financially for you or whatever, but strip it all away. Fuck politics. You know, fuck the world. You know, fuck your money problems. Fuck your broken heart. And just find that little bit of space within yourself that is truly you and 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 give it a little pat on the little head and say, we're okay. And there's a lot of things in life that make it amazing. Do that, will you? Tonight, today, do that. So uh, Bill Burr has got some pretty aggressive fans who've been pestering me for weeks for this uh, little chat I did with Bill. You know, I got my friends, they come in here. Sometimes they got a, a thing, I'll get a call from a buddy. Hey, I got this thing. You mind if I come talk about the thing on uh, the podcast there, Mark? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Sure, come over and talk about the thing for a few minutes. I usually call them shorties. But, you know, with Bill, I hadn't seen him in a while. We had a little catching up to do. So it turned into a little more than that. He's got this uh, He's got this great uh, animated thing that he's got going. He's going to tell you about that. F is for family. And uh, we talked about some other stuff. So this is me and... Uh, the, the great human that is Bill. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say 
essay in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Burr. So, uh, all right, you know, I, I tell you, Bill, I, um, I known you a long time, and uh, you know, I get the screener for the cartoon. Uh huh. And there's part of me, you know, you know the deal. There's part of me that's like, ah, fucking cartoon. Oh my god! <laughs> I like that you call it a cartoon. That's what I call it. that animated series. Is a little too highbrow for me. Well, yeah, but you know, like I'm not necessarily a cartoon guy. Are you? Do you watch Family Guy? You watch The Simpsons? Really? Oh, yeah, I watch. Uh, I watch South Park's the best social oh, commentary. Park, fine, yes. No, I agree with you. I, uh, I don't watch it for much. the last twenty years on TV. But, and I watch uh, uh, Axe Cop. Major Laser, all that stuff. Oh, you do? Oh, my God. I love that stuff. I, I got to watch. Well, let's see. Oh, well, dude, it's, my, it's like. My it's, point is. It's like Pink Floyd made a cartoon sometimes. Some of the stuff they come up with. It's I, was on a, I was on a couple cartoons. I'm on Adventure Time. One episode of Adventure Time. Play a flying squirrel or a non-flying squirrel. Of course you did. I, <laughs> I could have told you you were going to get that gig. <laughs> yeah, First time a, I met you. I got a regular gig on uh, Harvey Beaks. I'm a cranky raccoon. I'm I'm involved. That's good. With animation. You're in it, but you're just not into it. Well, I don't watch it. and I don't watch anything, though. So I'm like, all right, I'll watch Bill's uh, cartoon. So I'm gonna, and then I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is good, 70s. I'm like, still a cartoon. But then at some point, I'm like completely emotionally engaged. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, like you know, 10 minutes, like however, 12 minutes in, I'm like, what's going to happen? Then all of a sudden, like the kids came to life. You know, the father that you're playing, he came to life and the time period came to life. And I found very, I was very emotionally moved. Very nice. Is that what I was supposed to do? Yeah, well, we, we, uh, the mission statement basically was how the whole thing came about. F for family, it's called. F F is for family, yeah. Um, How it came about was, um, I was initially just going to do, make little five minute vignettes. Right. I was going to pay for it, just throw it up on my website. And I was, and it was, all based on how, you know, we look like the Brady Bunch. We look like a Norman Rockwell painting of a yeah, family. Right. And it, and we would always do this Norman Rockwell-esque stuff like, hey, let's go get a Christmas tree. Right. But it was all the dysfunction between that idea and then the end when we were decorating the tree. I'm like, that's where the gold is. That's where the stand-up is. And, you know, I'd been telling those stories throughout my career. And, you know, as I started getting older... And the the generation that wore helmets when they rode bicycles and helicopter parents and play dates, <laughs> they came up, and a lot of them still came up like me. But there was that social pressure to groan at bullying and not laugh at it the way you did when you were kids. Right, yeah. oh, right. So yeah. the, your generation, you mean, that has a family now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, these these kids came along, and then they would just groan. And I got frustrated. Yeah. So that's how I started thinking. I'll do the vignette. Then of course I'm a comedian. I procrastinate. I never did it. Right. And then I just happened to have a a a, a general meeting with wild west vince vaughn's company uh-huh. and they were like what do you got you know you got any ideas for tv shows and i was like no nothing i ever pitch ever gets made i don't and all it does i get tied up in a development deal and then i can't be on shows that are actually on the air so yeah. i don't want to get tied up in one of those that's a sucker's game so you guys are making movies i like movies if you can shoehorn me in there i'll, I'll play anybody you want 
And they were like, all right, cool, but we like you, blah, blah, blah. So, and I was, as I was walking out the door, I literally just, you know, I got this cartoon idea. And they were looking to do one. Oh, literally shit. as, and they just pulled me in. And the next thing you know, they, uh, we got Mike Price, the great Mike Price from uh, The Simpsons, co-created the show. And, uh, it was we, all your idea, though. The, 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 the inception of it. But the show itself is, is literally like, you know, 20, 20 people. Sure, in, sure in, but in, this input. is based on your family. The character I play is an amalgam of, sure. of everybody's dad there. Yeah, I, right. wanted my, I wanted my family, my dad, everybody to be able to sit down and watch this and enjoy the show the way you're going to. But every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, I remember doing that. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but not so. But they, nobody's going to know what happened or what didn't happen. Right, right. But then also, so not, they're not going to be like, oh, shit, he's, t- he's p- throwing me under the bus. Yeah. Kids throwing me under the bus. No, I respect the fact that I was dumb enough to pick a job to get into the public eye and they didn't. So yeah. I respect the fact that they don't want to be. But there's a few things I, I'm like. I'm still learning that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a line in that, like that thing, you know, I'll, I'll put you through that fucking wall. Yeah. Like my dad did say that. <laughs> And there was a moment one time he was yelling at us outside. We had this field next to the house, yeah. and he just sort of randomly pointed towards the woods. He was so ramped up. We, yeah. we pissed him off. So, I'll, be, hey, man, I'll put you through that fucking wall. And we had all we could do not to laugh because it's like, Dad, we're, in the, we're standing yeah. in the woods. And, but the thing about my dad was like, you know, three days later, you could bring it up and tell the story, and he would laugh his ass off. Right. So it was, you know- it's you know that volatile moment, You're a little hot-headed. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you don't have that at all. No, Jeez, no I wonder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I take after my mom. No, no, I have that in spades. But I, I think a lot of times, uh, no, he turns out to be the great thing about that character in the show is that there's an edge to it. But you know, he's a sympathetic character. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, the balance of it is good. You know, there's not a monster. You know, I think that if you saw that father now. You know, out in public doing that with his kids, like you said, that generation of uh, yeah of, of pussies would be like that's you know someone should call child services. But you know right. when you're in the dynamic and you realize the guy's got shortcomings and weaknesses of his own, there's a humility to it, and you like the guy. Yeah, his heart's in the right place. Right, that's and it. A lot of times, I, I would always say to a lot of people in my life talking uh. about the curse of having a temper uh-huh. is what happens is even when you're in the right, you become wrong. Because they can then say, like, all right, yeah, I shouldn't have done this and this, but that's no reason to call me a cunt. Yeah, or yeah, everyone's crying just because you didn't have the right breakfast. Yeah. You know, I know what you mean. Right, yeah, because once you escalate to a certain point, it's no longer about right or wrong. It's about- You're just an asshole. Yes. That's what it becomes. <laughs> so that has been my big thing with my temper. Yeah, oh, really? Is is I've tried, I've tried to, and I try not to lose my mind. I try not to lose- like the other night, I was driving with my wife, and we were going over to go see a movie, and I made it all the way to Santa Monica without- From without, Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. Without yeah. flipping out. Oh, it's hard. And right as I was pulling into the, 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 the where I was going to park, yeah. some asshole did something, and I completely lost my shit. To about, like, I was on seven. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. even close to but 10. But not at her, just at the situation. Just just at LA. It the drove me nuts yeah. that, 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 you know, the-, the, the fucking robot lady says that you're at the place that you're at and you're not and then you got to figure out where you're at right I'm talking about the gps yeah thing. and then i realized oh i'm not here and i looked in the rearview mirror there was nobody there my wife asked me one sec- question i looked for half a second answered and looked in the rearview mirror and there was like six cars coming yeah and i swear to god it's like it's like the truman show out here it's like <laughs> oh he wants to back up all right roll in all these cars and i completely lost my shit but i made a joke i said uh, well i almost did it uh, i almost made it yeah was I, she all right she um, no, I don't think she is. I think that it, I think it, it really affects her in a negative way, and it's something I'm trying to work on because um, I, 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 I was going to say that I don't sometimes understand the tension that it creates, but it's like, yes, I do because I grew up in a house 
Well, well you're just walking uh, around on eggshells. You're like, uh, you, know, yeah. you don't want that fucking guy. To, when's that guy going to blow? Yeah. And I hate that I became that guy because I always said I wasn't going to be that guy. So that's something that I, I've been trying to work on. How do you do it? What, I mean, what do you, because like I have the same, like lately with me, I'm like, I'm moving to the mountains. I want to get out all together. Like, because yeah. a lot of it, it, a lot of it is bullshit LA. A lot of it is traffic related. I, I, I mean, it's like I can't. I have a hard time managing that shit in the relationship situation. I'm a little better, but I just, I just stew. I don't yell anymore. I, how are you at stewing? Uh, the stewing is is more. I, I wouldn't say stew. Uh, to me, I'm more pouting. Oh, really? I didn't get my way, and now I'm going to sit here and just not talk to you as an adult, literally acting like an eight year old. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of embarrassing facets of my uh, anger. Like, yeah, everything. It just all leads to like. You know, I wish I could be that, that, uh, I wish I could have that chill vibe. I just, do you though? Do we? I mean, I'd like to be able to turn it on and off, but I mean, I don't like a lot of times, like, I don't want to admit it. Right. Because people ask me all that, all the time, do you think that you need your, your, your craziness or your neurotic shit or your anger to be funny? And I'm like, I don't need it. You know, but then it never goes away. You know, so I'm not doing anything to fix. Or, or behave differently yeah. around some fundamental shit because it does drive a lot. Yeah, like, but you're, you're way less angry than when I met you. And no, I, yeah. I, I am too. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm definitely way less well, we angry. We did all right. But our thing is we set the bar so hard, high with yeah. the anger that even us just coming down yeah. is still like... I remember my brother told me, you know, we all got like a bit of my dad's temper. Yeah, yeah. One of my brothers told me this story one time riding with this girlfriend right yeah. at the time and he was flipping about, you know, blah, 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 da, 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 da. And she just goes, stop yelling. He goes, I'm not yelling. And then he just goes, this is yelling. And went totally through it and like literally like blew her hair back. And I think that was the end of it because she was a sweetheart yeah. and didn't come from that, yeah. um, which is just, re- I can't imagine. I have a lot of empathy. Yeah. Not for, empathy, sympathy for anybody that came from a, a, a decent background that ends up with a, one of us in a day to day with me with the monsters. Yeah, I'm not that bad, but I mean, I, I well, it's like if it's, you live uh, with me, yeah, my wife a, puts up with a lot. It's a rage thing, you know, like it, it comes over you, and it's a horrible feeling when you're seized by it, where you know you're like it's happening, you know it's happening. Oh, now at this age, you know it's happening, and, and you, can't, you can't can't stop and it's it. It's just coming out of your mouth. God uh, damn it! And you're like, why is this? Happening? There's a guy in there going, "What are we doing? What, what are we, are we doing? Do? You know, she's gonna she's gonna get upset with you. <laughs> it's you, you know, you know, you told told her you weren't gonna do this. You know what my thing is? Technology. Oh yeah. So you're the guy with the 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 the, the, the gadgets yelling. No, I I can't. I hate all of it. I hate all of it. I, I'm draining. It is draining. I, I hate like the new operating systems and all that stuff. All it is designed to do is fill up your damn thing, so you got to throw it out. And get another one. Yep. And it's like, I just learned the other one. Yeah, right. So it's like back in the day when I was a kid, you know, you learn how to read, you could read. Right. And I was literate. Right. And then what I can't stand about these things, it's like I'm, I'm functionally literate. It's the best I ever get. Right. And then I go right back to me in first grade again. Like it's, A is for it's, Apple. And that's what it is. It's that planned obsolescence shit. At least back in the day when they did that with cars or televisions is a good example from the show. You had a choice. Like, you know, I'm going to stick with the old one. I don't need the new window thing. I don't well, you need could the... get it fixed. There was re- You could go to right. the television repair person. Like, that. my parents' generation, I think, is one of the last generations that they bought stuff and they have for it. Like, I go home to my parents' house and yeah. I, I just look at stuff going like, dude, look at this spoon. I ate with this 40 years ago. <laughs> Wooden spoons, glasses. Yeah. Like, uh, back in the day, like, we had, like, the, t- the big wooden TVs on the legs. If, yeah. If, yeah, we blew the tube. Yeah. Then you just didn't watch TV for, like, three days. <laughs> And then somebody came by with a tube, with a tube, and he fixed it, and then it worked again. 
Everything you just throw everything away now. Everything's you garbage. You fixed the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, yeah. You bought one. There were whole businesses based on people's Preparing. fear of buying new things, and then it became the whole like it, you know. Well, you might as well buy a new one, right? Because it's going to cost you almost as much. And uh, uh, they're all in on it. Well, nay, and then you got that big swirl of garbage out there in the so Pacific. And I always think about that every time. Oh, I just thought about that when I went to go get a little. Uh, breakfast the burrito swirl, there. The swirl of garbage? Yeah, because they thought I was getting it to go, so then she goes, she put it in a brown paper bag, so I took it out. I go, yeah, I don't need this. Yeah. I don't need this. And then she goes, you want a paper plate? And I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a wash. How does it get to the swirl of garbage? Well, I mean, it either, if it either ends up in a landfill or it goes in the ocean, you, you never throw anything out. Like, everything you've ever owned exists someplace on this planet, Yeah. unless it was biodegradable at or this burned. point. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, so it's out it, there. It's out there. Your rollerblades, everything <sighs> that you you stopped using. And there's a there's a large swirl of garbage. Yeah, the suspenders that you had when you were into <laughs> roller skating way back in the day. There's there's somewhere, large swirl of garbage. It's like two miles deep and twice the size of Texas, just out in the Pacific Ocean, just swirling around. What's it doing? Uh, this well, the way the currents move did or you, something caused did, it all to kind of go there. I guess. I don't know. What am did I you say? Is it, was it two miles deep? You said two miles deep and like one and a half times the size of Texas. Oh my god! So this is the stuff that, like, you know, you're having a good day, you're having a pretty good morning, right? Yeah. You're gonna have a breakfast burrito, and the, and then there's, you want a paper bag? No, I don't want to. And then a plate? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're in the swirl of garbage. Yeah. And it's Mentally. over. I it's take a- that. And then you know what? The <laughs> other person who just. <laughs> Takes the paper bag and the paper plate. I immediately assume that they know about the swirl of garbage and they don't care. Right, right. That fucker. Yeah. Rather no than, heart. Rather than he probably has like four kids and he's been up all night. But, you just... thought, you, but you've got a paper plate too. That, I think that's part of the anger is that, you know, you get angry on principle, but then you can't help. No, you can't. But you're going to go for comfort. Be part of it. Yeah. You're gonna uh, go. No winning. No, I, I went down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theory. I've crawled I, I, out. I, I tried and, to and, get you out of that and a little I, bit. I just... Uh, well, I mean, I was right about a lot of the stuff because it was about banking, if you do remember. Oh, no, yeah, there's always the them, and they are running everything. That's true. Yeah. I just don't think it's organized. Like, I, like when, you, know, That's when, right. you know what they say is like stupid things like Jews run Hollywood? Yeah, Hollywood. It would that. be like, dude, the level of cooperation. Necessary. Just, just to run Hollywood. And if you've been in this town for more than three seconds, it is a knife fight. Well, that, Nobody's yeah. working with anybody. I had that moment with my, uh, my friend Jim, you know, who worked for Clinton, and he's a, pre- he's a politics guy. Mm-hmm. It's in my it's in Jerusalem syndrome. I used to do it on stage, I think, where I just go off in this rant. It's the Bilderberger group, the Trilateral Commission, the Freemasons. Look at the you know, like yeah, you know, I'm I'm yelling at him on right. the mall in DC. Yep. And I and I think I And nail you got it. the beard, you're the you're that guy. I, I was that guy. <laughs> and he and he takes this weird beat and he just looks at me and goes, Mark, people here just aren't that organized. <laughs> There's just no way. Yeah. They are I mean it's like you they, People it, will try to do it, but you at the end of the day. Even within your group, someone's going to be like, well, why is Mark on top? I yeah. want to be that guy. And it just, it all falls. It's like a band. Yeah. How many bands, other than the Rolling Stones, were able to stay together? You just, after a while, you're just like, this guy with the way he eats yeah, yeah. toast. Yeah, get him out. Yeah. But, but the thing is, the pe- but you're right about the banks, because they're the ones that can rig the system. If you can rig the system, it's very really hard to rig the system in show business. Yeah, you can close the gates and certain people get jobs, but if they don't make money- it's over. Right. You know, you only cannot make money a couple of times before show business is like, well, that guy's done. But if you can rig the system from the inside and people are too stupid or, or it's too difficult to find out, then you do run everything. Right. But even then, banks are competing with other banks, but it's just more like they're just not regulated. So it's just what they're doing is like reprehensible. I just actually watched a screener of that new Brad Pitt. Uh, the, the big, big short. short. I saw oh, it. Yeah. 
was incredible. But I have an equal amount of anger for the bankers and the dopes that got <laughs> themselves involved in those loans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, you, like I flunked math. Yeah. I flunked math yeah. every single year yeah. of high school. Right. And my brother was able to sit down and explain to me how a mortgage worked in a five-minute conversation. Right. How to go. And I remember when I first got a mortgage, and I was like, I'm going to make double mortgage payment. I p- bought something I could afford, first of all. Yeah to pay more than the mortgage. And I made, I made like double mortgage payments. And all of a sudden I was six months ahead on my mortgage, but hadn't knocked down the principal because I was just making interest payments. Right. And then I was like, oh, that's how that works. So yeah. then I was like, all right, so I'm just paying the mortgage. And then this other stuff I write on this line that's principal. I'm a moron. I yeah. was able to figure that out. So I know there was a lot of people. Uh, uh, my dad flipped out when the whole thing happened in 07. I remember, well, the, but and, people and, and, should know better where they're like, sign this paper, we'll give you a free house. And you can pay for it later. Yeah. And there are people that are just like, free house? Yeah. Okay. Or like when the bank calls you up to refinance. It's like, hey, you're paying 1800 a month. You want to make 12, you want to have a, a, a 1200 a month mortgage? It's like, let me get this straight. You just called me up to make 600 bucks less a month. How does this work? And what it is, is they go back to like mortgage payment number one. So all the interest you've been paying for the last five years is just in the ocean. It's in their pocket. <laughs> and then you got to start all over again. So that's 600 a month you're saving. No, nobody does Somehow that. it works out yeah. with, the, with the numbers that you're actually paying more. But most people just hear like, yeah, I'll save 600 a month. And I, then and you know what they do with that 600? They go out and they buy a flat screen TV, right. which is a total depreciating, whatever they call yeah, it, asset. No, nothing. Yeah. And then where does it end up? In the ocean. In the ocean. <laughs> Hitting a porpoise right in, Swir- the fuck, right in the teeth. Swirling. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, what is um, on F is for family, right? That's mm-hmm. the whole title. You're yep. working with great people. I mean, there's a lot yes. of great people on that show. Who are the people uh, who are doing the voices with you? You're doing the father. Great. You got a great clip at that. How many takes you got to do with that? You just kind of roll with it? It took me like three uh, three times of going in there yeah. to uh, get comedy club comfortable. Right, right, right. And um, On those mics. Yeah. Were you was, usually was, working with an ensemble? Or were you doing it separately? Both. I've done, right. Both. So, uh, oh yeah, you, you said earlier you did it. So you know the deal. So it was just sort of a thing where I'm, I'm obviously comfortable on a microphone, wearing headphones, done yeah. enough radio. So that was comfortable. But then it was just like, okay, we're going to do the whole script. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes I did it by myself. So that was just a little weird. And then also trying to keep the energy going up as you're reading the lines. You're not going to memorize a whole script. Right. No, you can't. You got to read. And you, and you don't have to. No. You know what I mean? You just go in there. So it's, it was learning how to do that. And anybody who listens to my podcast knows that reading out loud is not one of my uh, so, strong suits. It's hard. It's like reading a prompter. It's like making, you know, so you learned how to do that. You had to pick up that skill, huh? Yeah. So I, I got a little better than that. But as far as like the cast, uh, Laura Dern. Oh, my great. wife. Yeah. Justin Long crushes it is uh uh Kevin The Stoner Franks. brother? Yep, the Stoner brother. And then uh Little Bill is played by Haley Reinhardt, who is one of the finalists on like American Idol. And that was a very key voice to get because a little boy's voice where yeah. where it hasn't, you know, changed yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if he's whining to his parents can be really annoying. And yeah. You, and I don't know. I always looked at those kids like, I want to beat the shit out of you. Yeah, I don't know why. Natural vulnerability that's but annoying. She, she has this natural raspiness to her voice that, she, that that singer thing. And she was able to like, she does such a great voice on that. Oh, it's like Pam Adlon in King of the Hill. She played the, the little boy. Yeah. Like, had that, yeah. I think, yeah, you got to have a yeah, little yeah. bit of that to, so it doesn't sound like a little girl. Right. Uh, Debbie Derryberry plays uh, Maureen, the daughter. And if you've watched any of those Pixar animated movies, she's she's done like a zillion. She's total pro. Uh, Kevin Farley's in there. 
um, um, Sam Rockwell. Oh, what does he play? He plays uh, uh, Vic Reynolds, the uh, the cool next door neighbor. Oh, that's Sam Rockwell. Yeah, oh, he's yeah, great. Yeah, um, that's a great I always forget uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. Uh, I'm gonna Mo Collins. Oh my God, Mo Collins absolutely destroys from Mad TV. Absolutely crushes it. Uh, she does the voice of uh, uh, Jimmy Fitzsimmons, the bully, and a, and a bunch of other voices. Um, it's it, it's it's been an it's been an incredible. That's a experience. that's an all star team there. Yeah. Well, what happened was we wrote a really funny script, and uh-huh. uh, we got one big fish. I forget who we got first. So then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, this is this is a funny script, and so and so's attached. Then yeah. all of a sudden it, it, they started falling like dominoes, and it was just uh, it was incredible. But I got to tell you, watching like the the actors, yeah. Like uh, more so than the voiceover people because they were such pros. They they just had the voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But watching Sam Rockwell, Laura Laura Dern, and and Justin Long, watching their approach where it was just like every you. I watched like all of them, like every take. Like it was like when it first when they first did it, you're like, oh my god, like what are they doing? Yeah. And then f- five minutes later, you're like, wow, that's really good. And then like f- like ten minutes in, seven to ten minutes in. It was just this different person that wasn't them. I was yeah. just like, "Why do they do that?" Yeah, like that is amazing. They're fucking pros. Yeah, and yeah. they and they had like their process, and I was like, um, I was looking at more like it from a stand up approach. Like, right, you know, get right. in there, make it funny right now. But it works. Yeah, because you got that character. You yeah. know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do what we can within the range we can do it. Totally. But I'm, I'm basically being propped up by a tr- tremendous amount of pa- uh, talent. Right. No, but that's not true. You have a tremendous amount of talent. You're a good actor too. But you know, I, I mean, I, I, you're, you know, you seem to be, you know, comfortable in a lot of different roles. But this one really speaks to you. I mean, you know, this guy. You are this guy for the most part. We're better if we're the guy. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's some version well, of it. Yeah, what's cool about this is that some of my dad's catchphrases, some of Mike Price's, some of the other uh, writers' uh, catchphrases or, or experiences, and then his politics sometimes are mine though. Yeah. So right. it's sort of this uh, cyborg version. It's like this. Right. It's a bunch of personalities in there. Um, but you get the tone. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I mean. Yeah, it's great, dude. I've done some acting that's not like you know Breaking Bad and shit and something. But you know, like that guy, I think was uh, the least like you. You had to turn a lot of things off, you know, oh, to yeah. do you know to to have that guy. But I've always wanted to play a, a guy. Uh, um, Patrick Kuby, by the way, you know when I found out his first name was Patrick, yeah, was after I had filmed my final scene, and then I was just watching the series, you know, because I, you know, I was always flying for one day. I'd do my little BS, and yeah. they'd send me back. And I remember knowing that my character was not going to show up anymore in the story, as people were tweeting me, going like, you know, is he coming back? Yeah, and I knew that I wasn't. And then when uh, um, Dean's character was talking, he said, "Yeah, you, you," he was talking to. Uh, Talking Lavelle, yeah, and he was going like, "Yeah, your your carrot top friend there, uh, what's his name, uh, Kub- Patrick Kuby." And I was yeah. literally at home watching it. I stood up, going, "Oh, my character's first name is Patrick." <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Like freaking out. Um, That's good, right? Oh yeah, no, yeah, you nailed to- the Patrick. That, that that they that they totally fleshed it out. And but what was just great about that show was just the level that everyone was working on. Like whenever anybody goes, "Oh, you know, you did a great job on that show," I was go, "Dude, you would have done a great job on that show. You're working with the best actors ever." Writers, directors, cinematography, the whole thing. All you had to do was just say what they wrote and hit the lines and just try <laughs> yeah. to make it sound remotely believable. Right. Because that's, and that's one thing that I've learned about that whole making TV shows and movies. It's, it's like those are the guys that really, 
as much as the actors are amazing, like because every great actor has an absolute dog of a movie. And right. It's like, sure. what, what did they forget how to act? Yeah. It's just like the, if if you don't have that person who knows how to pace it along, how to yeah. edit, how to keep that thing rolling, and then the right music to build up. Yeah, that it's a moment. whole ensemble thing. Yeah. Who did the music for uh, F for is for family? Uh, Dave Kushner. Who's that and guy? Say, Dave Kushner's uh, from Velvet Revolver. There you go. Rock and roll. That's right, man. Him How'd you he, hook up with that guy? Uh, he was a friend of uh, Wild West, Vince Vaughn, and all those guys. Uh, Dude, this thing just like, I find, after all these years of trying to do a TV show, the one time when I was like, yeah, I don't have an idea. I, you know, I got this stupid cartoon idea. This is the thing where all of a sudden the planets all aligned. Where, yeah. where Wild West is like the greatest people I've ever worked with as far as putting together a show. And then they get with Mike Price, who's the greatest showrunner I've ever worked with. And then uh, we get with Net- Netflix, whose whose network notes were push it further, which <laughs> yeah. is the dream. It's usually yeah. like, remember when we said we want an edgy? Yeah. We don't. No. We're going to saw the legs off this thing and leave you out there twisting in the wind. And everybody's just like, that show sucked. <laughs> what was up with that? They were the exact opposite. So, um, so then when we had to get music, the thing about the 70s is it's been so mined as far as like uh, all the great songs, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, that movie "Dazed and Confused" alone, yeah, all of them was was half my iPod. You know, they cost money those songs. Yes. So what we wanted to do was pick some that were a little bit more obscure, and then we had Dave Kushner and his buddies come up with some original music for it. And it's a really nice from uh, the time kind of that feel. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, worked yeah. out. Yeah. And does that does he, does that mean uh, what do you get to? Did he bring rock and roll buddies around or what? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Who do you play with? Who comes in to do it? A- oh no, no, no. He. Uh, all of his, all the people that he worked with are all like studio guys. Oh, yeah. You know what was cool is, uh, I got to take you over there sometime, like where they record the yeah, music. Yeah. It's just, a house looks like this. Yeah. And they converted the garage where they, it's literally a room within the room. And like, I've stood outside the garage and this yeah. guy hit the drums as hard as he could hit them. It sounded like somebody had a stereo on like two. Really? And Insulated. Was, yeah. And I was just like, I need to know, I need to have, I got to have that. <laughs> Once again, the swirl of garbage disappears. <laughs> yeah. My own selfish, I go into my own monkey brain. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want to have that. Yeah, Cut down we... some trees and make me that. Yeah, how do we do this in my house? Yeah, I got to have one of those because um, I'm not a professional drummer, so I definitely need a professional drumming studio yeah. in my garage. So no one will hear you. Yeah. So like, you don't have to have that self-consciousness. About, like, oh, you, a... want, you want to hear a good story about what? that? I used to, when I first moved out here with uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, we, used to, we lived over this, this crazy old guy. He was yeah. the beginning parts of dementia, which we didn't know. So he had a, he was really sarcastic as hell. And, yeah. You know, we had hardwood floors. Anytime you drop something on the floor, he would go like, you just hear from downstairs, you just hear, do it again. <laughs> Keep it up. Like that thing. So what I used to do is I, whatever I dropped, if yeah. I didn't like it, or I'd just take my, you know, my Timberland, and I would yeah. just slam it on the floor. And, <laughs> really? and then he would shut up, right? And uh, But he had this habit of really, you know, he could, you know, he could hear my voice because yeah. it was an old building. But when, right. I, when I was on the road, he, he really acted up and he would always be yelling at my wife. Like like from the floor below. So she kept going, you got to go down there. You got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. And I was just going, yeah, I'm not going down and talk to him. It's, it's an old guy. It's yeah. not going to go well. <laughs> right. No matter what happens. I'm a young guy. I'm getting into an argument with an old guy. Right. I don't want to do this. So whatever. So like, you know, we have this little apartment. I had my little guitar set up and, you know, my little practice pad with my drums and all that stuff. So one day, um, it was after Christmas holidays and I'm taking the Christmas tree down the stairs. I was trying to be quiet, but at the end of the day, I'm taking a fucking tree down the stairs. It's right. only so quiet you could be. <laughs> right. So I walk by him and he's glaring at me. You know, I just, you know, wink at him or something. Like, I'm just being playful, whatever. And I take it to the thing. 
And I come back into the house and Nia goes like, you need to go down there right now and talk to this guy. He just said this. Eh. And it was just a moment. I said, fine, you want me to go down there? And I'll talk to the guy. And I went down and I start talking to the guy. And I got like two words into it. And he keeps, he starts flipping out, screaming and yelling. And now I'm standing there and there's an old guy looking like he's going to keel over. He's yelling so bad. And I was in my 30s at that time. So I'm looking like an asshole. When I'm trying to explain, I go, dude, will you relax? I'm just saying don't yell at my wife. If you have a problem, just come up like a gentleman, blah, 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 blah. And then at one point, he just looks at me and he goes, he goes, how's your band? And then he just goes, <laughs> like he could hear my guitar playing and he was basically saying I sucked. Dude, my face literally turned red. I was embarrassed. And my wife was above, right above listening to it. And she thought it was funny. So for like the next three days, I was so mortified. I didn't even play. And then when I started playing, I would either not have the amp on or have the headphones on. And I was even picking it really like gingerly. And after like three, four days of this, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Fuck this guy. And I turned it up and I started playing again. But but there's nothing more embarrassing than when somebody makes fun of your hobby. Because yeah. you know it's your hobby. Yeah. You know you stink at it. Yeah. Like if somebody told me you suck as a comic, like, ah, fuck yeah, I put food on the table doing that. Yeah, you just yeah. don't like my act. I can, I right. can shake that. Right, it right. still hurts. Right. But not to the level like there's a major exposure when somebody hears your hobby. Right, because it's vulnerable. He got in your head. Oh, yeah, yeah. You hit your right where it hurt. Yeah, you're not a pro. Uh, and I, you're I, always I, fantasizing like, do you think I'd be good enough to play in a band? I know the same way with fucking guitar, dude. Dude, you can play though. I, yeah, there's part of me though, like I'm sure you get this too, where I'm like, yeah, I think this is what I'm going to do now. <laughs> like, like, I just got to get some guys together. No way. And I've, I, I've gone on tours with other comics, and I, I, I've, which is basically the band experience, yeah. except you don't have to interact with them as much. Right. But like, there's, there's always going to be the late guy. Yeah. There's going to be the user, yeah, but, the, the but also, pussy hound, and right. all of that. But also the fact that I, you know, I, I don't know if I can play with people. You know, playing at home, you know, in your own time, doing one take, or maybe if you think you really nailed that solo, you're going to hit that song again. Oh, I wasn't even yeah. talking about being any sort of like, no, like I know, decent I know, yeah. band. Right. I just mean like trying it, just trying to do it. But did you get to play with any of these guys? Like, did you get to play with uh, Kushner? With, yeah. yeah. Well, they had me uh, play drums on a on a track for the uh, for the show. Of course, it didn't make it. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I actually listened back <laughs> Three to- Three of bone. Dude, when- Oh, yeah, totally they did. And when I came and listened to the track, dude, and I thought I nailed it, dude. Ugh. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> Dude, it was like, you ever hear that joke? That you, how do you know there's a drummer at the door? Oh. Because the knocking speeds up. Like, that's what it was. Except mine was like, like, dude, it was- Couldn't hold it? Oh. Yeah. No, but I was also like, you know, I'm sitting like, that's that's Dave Kushner standing right there. Like, you know what I mean? And they I just showed up like, all right, man, go ahead. Get in there, have a hit. And they were like, oh, we'll fix it. Yeah. We'll fix it. I kept calling it the Paula Abdul knob. I go, can you turn that up a little more and stretch that out and then condense that thing? Yeah. But what ended up happening was, um, you know, Dave is such a great guy. He, you know, he does a lot of stuff for charity. And whenever he does charity, he knows all of those guys. Yeah. You know, um, the Guns N' Roses guy, the yeah. Revolver guys, like STP guy. He knows all of those guys. So when he puts together a show, for charity, it's like an all-star band. It's like, you feel like you're at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I went to a couple of these shows. Yeah. And then at one point he said to me, he goes, hey man, do you want to you wanna sit in on one song? You know, you're going to do some stand-up and then maybe sit in. And I was like, no, 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 dude. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be that guy. There's that old man downstairs yeah. talking in the back of your no, head. No, but also it's just like everybody's geeking out that they're that close to these rock stars yeah. and then we're going to bring up this jerk-off... And I was just like, I don't want to do that. And he goes, all right, man, you know, he's like the guy, you know, they wouldn't care, man. They actually, you know, they like your stuff, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I was driving. I was thinking, yeah, I was like, you know what? 
That was more of a fear choice. I'm trying to act like it was, I was being courteous. Right. Like, I don't want to do that to you, but right. it was really, I was too scared to do it. So I was just, I just called him back and said, all right, let's do it. Yeah. So we, we decided we're going to do Highway to Hell. Phil Rudd, sure. straight ahead. So I show up there uh, the day we're doing the sound check and everybody is a monster, but I'm not recognizing half of the guys. So yeah. I start, once I get their names, I'm like Wikipediaing them. <laughs> And they're all these insane studio guys, yeah, and I yeah. own half the albums these guys played on. I'm right. like, oh, I just met this guy. Hey, I'm Chris. I found it's the guy who plays with Jane's Addiction, bass player and stuff. <laughs> so we end up going up there. I end up going up. I do the sound check. We do the song once. I mean, you know, and, and, and it, it went well. They go, yeah. all right, man, that sounds good. Is that, you know, you want to do it again? I go, no, you know, that's how I'm going to do it. So they go, fine. So that night I show up. Now there's a crowd there. The sun's gone down. We're playing outside. And these guys start, and I'm looking at the set list going like, okay, I got to be up second or third. They'll right. warm them up, yeah. get the stupid comic in and out, yeah. and then they'll go back to being you know, rock stars with, with professional drumming. And uh, I'm like, third to last song or fourth to last. I'm like, what are they doing? So they're tearing through 10 songs, right. destroying them. <laughs> Frankie Perez on vocals, just crushing. Yeah. And it's like these... You know these p- people just going nuts because yeah. it's like they're getting their own private concert for this charity thing, and then we're coming up. They did Roadhouse Blues, and I knew I was next to play Highway to Hell, so I sneak up onto the bandstand because I didn't want to get you right. know the the, the, yeah. anu- uh, the announcement or whatever uh, intro. And uh, as I'm sitting down, the drum, the the bass player and guitar player walk off stage. Right. And I'm already get, I'm getting nervous now just telling you this. I'm like, oh, what's going on? We didn't rehearse this. What's going on? So Christian goes, yeah, hey, we got going to have a special guest on this one uh, on drums. And everybody's like, oh, my God, who's this going to be? Bruce Springsteen? They're so spoiled. They go, on drums, we got Bill Burr, comedian Bill Burr. And dude, literally golf clap. I didn't even think there was a clap. It was just like a collective, who the fuck is that? Right. So now, you know, I'm hiding my face behind one of the symbols. Uh. And then he goes, I also got a couple more friends. Coming up to the stage uh, from Guns N' Roses, please welcome, welcome Duff McKagan in Slash. And they just walked up on stage. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and dude, I literally, Appetite for Destruction in right. the 80s, I would yeah. lift weights to it and then play drums to it every single day. My older right. brother wanted so to kill like me. Heroes. Yes. Yeah. And me and my brothers used to do a cover of Highway to Hell. Uh-huh. And one of my brothers stood where Duff was and the other one stood where Slash was. Yeah. It was like 12 worlds all meeting. And I had three seconds to process this. And then Slash just goes, da 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 And yeah. I was like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> and then I, had, I still, I couldn't feel my legs. And somehow I was able to, to get through it. I screwed up like three times, but I, I, I came back on time, you know. And um, I just remember in the end, you know how the band cuts out? Yeah. And then Bon Scott does the, all the way. And then there's the big cymbal wash. Yeah. Well, Slash, Duff, and Dave all turn around for, for the cue because it's on me. And dude, I would have been less nervous if like literally three oak trees came to life and bent down and talked to me. And like, so I get off stage and like, I am grinning like Julia Roberts, like all my molars are showing. I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I got to meet Slash afterwards and he said he he liked my drumming. He was being nice. So now I am floating like, wow, I just play with these rock stars and they like me. So then of course I leave Get in my Prius, right? <laughs> the most unrock and roll thing ever. And I was driving down, you know, it was up in the Hollywood Hills where we did it. And I was yeah. literally screaming, like just right. out the window. I couldn't fucking believe it happened. So I go down to the comedy store because I was going to meet these, uh, these guys to smoke a cigar. And I go down there and I get out of the car. And one of the guys that runs the store, Adam, comes out. Yeah. He goes, hey, Bill, I didn't even come by. Now. He goes, you, you, you want to go up? And I was like, nope. 
No, no, no. Um, no. No, no, no. That was the end of my <laughs> night right there. Yeah. So I go in the back. I tell all the guys the story. They can't believe it. Night of my life. As I'm telling the story, Kushner sent me some video of it. So they, I showed it to them. They're like, dude, that's like make-a-wish stuff. That's unreal. I literally didn't want the night to end. Right. So it's three in the morning, and now I finally have to go home. And this is where I turn back into a pumpkin. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, this is the greatest night ever. So I get in my Prius again. <laughs> I'm driving out of the uh, the comedy store parking lot. You yeah. know, I got to wait to make the left right. to cross Sunset. Right. And all of a sudden, there's this knock on my, my passenger side window. Yeah. I look over drop dead gorgeous woman right. I'm like this is it's just can't get any better right i immediately go to my ego this seems like oh i didn't know you were down here tonight i was the biggest fan did you did you go up i love your comedy i thought she's gonna do that yeah i rolled down the window and she sticks her whole head in the car and she just goes are you felipe our uber driver <laughs> i just was like uh no no i'm not and then i just drove home in silence <laughs> Welcome back to the planet. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, that didn't couldn't have ruined it too much. No, it was still uh, it was an awesome. And I got to do it one other time uh, recently, and I got to play with Gilby Clark. And oh, it's great. He's yeah. a good guy. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. And Duff again, and uh, it, it was yeah, it was insane. Living the life, man. Yeah, and, yeah. But and... I keep it in perspective that I know I I, I know that I suck. Yeah, you know. And I know. also know that it's it's one and done. When you do those things, you do one song, and then the novelty's yeah, over, yeah, yeah. or else they're just Don't like, hang out. Then it's a job, and you're not doing it well. Ex exactly. Right there, you go. Yeah. Well, no, but the the, uh, the you, I mean, it's good to know that like, no matter what happens, you're always going to suck to you. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, the, the thing that's going to keep us humble is that part of us is sort of like, nah, I No, I, I, I think everybody that's actually really good at what they do have is, not, is not happy with what it's, they're doing. I think, that, yeah, it's a shame, isn't to it? To a certain level. <laughs> no, because I can be happy with what I've done. Right. But, like, I always had a feeling I know I can do better. I know I can get better. Yeah. Because other than that, then you're just like, yeah, you just you? become that guy. Yeah I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm great at this. Yeah, my hour's good. I don't need to yeah. change it. Uh, yeah. And then you're like, hey, what's up with, uh, <laughs> with all this new Bill Clinton, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This Monica Lewinsky stuff is crazy. <laughs> well, look, dude, F is for families great. And uh, how many did you do? We did six. So they gave us like half a season to see how we do. So I have no idea what next year's going to be. It's either going to be us doing a season two, hopefully. Yeah depending on how this thing goes, or I will continue living my dream to be a comedian. So I look at all this other you stuff. You are living the dream. You're huge. I am. No, not great. huge. I, you, you snuck in the, you're huge. I mean, I mean, I am living the dream. Yes. But no, you're also a very popular comedian. I'm doing all right. All right, buddy. Good I'm seeing doing you. all right. Thank you. That was me and Bill. You can go to Netflix and watch that F is for family. Gotta love Bill Burr. Right? Of course you do. So here we go. The new year is here. Let's look back for a minute, can we? It's been a pretty amazing year for this show. A lot of things happened to me, and a lot of things happened on this show. Many times, they are the same thing. I think a few of the ones that I'd like to reflect about, out of the hundred or some odd ones that we've done here over the last year, I guess we do about, probably about a, what? About a hundred and... For something like that per year. There's been some amazing moments for me, but some of the highlights, as you would expect, were these. Let's talk about the ones. There are all so many. There's so many. But like for me, one of the great moments was uh, interviewing Terry Gross, the amazing Terry Gross, NPR's Terry Gross, the, the, the sort of um, the interviewer we all aspire to. I, I guess if you're me, 
I have a tremendous amount of respect for Terry Gross. She's the voice of what an interview sounds like. There are Stern people and there are Terry Gross people. And some of you are both those kind of people. Obviously, I have not interviewed Howard Stern. I, I don't know if that's a possibility. But Terry Gross is uh, the, the quintessential interviewer. And there was an opportunity at, uh, at that uh, Radio Love Fest where she was asked to be if she would do a live event. And she requested my uh, presence as the person to interview her, which was incredibly flattering. I was honored to do it, but it was a live situation. And uh, those are not the they're, they're not always easy. But I'll tell you, it was one of the best nights of my life in terms of me respecting her, finding information out about her that uh, we didn't. We didn't already know as a people and also just, uh, you know, being in front of 2000 people at, uh, at BAM and conducting this very intimate interview is a challenging thing and it couldn't have gone better. There was a nice balance. It was a wonderful live show. She was amazing. And, uh, and, and I felt like I did a, a great job. And again, I was, I was incredibly um, flattered and honored that she asked me. I love her. I love Terry Gross. And I love her even more since we had that uh, that evening together. And obviously, Keith Richards. Keith Richards was another amazing thing for me. Now, I know you know that I, I interviewed President Barack Obama. And we had a time in here. We had an hour in here. That was a hell of a day. You can listen to the President episode if you'd like. But a lot of people seem to, uh, to really enjoy the, uh, the President Was Here, which is episode 614. And uh, that was me and my producer and business partner, uh, Brendan McDonald, talking about what led up to that. Now, that was an amazing day. It was a, it was a, it was a challenge for me to, uh, to sit in myself and, and have that interview be a WTF interview. I was not looking for a political conversation. I was looking to connect with a human being. And I felt that that happened. And it was a, a monumental day for me. I'd like to think for the president and certainly for the medium of podcasting. But if I'm going to be totally candid with you, okay, I also interviewed Lorne Michaels, as some of you may listen to that. There was a lot of personal closure that I needed out of that episode. <laughs> I never assumed that that would happen. And, they, and, and many of you over the years have gotten sick of me telling the story of me meeting with Lorne Michaels. I was sick of myself telling it. But that, that was a very amazing interview for me personally. I don't know what that means, really. But personally, it was important to me to talk to Lauren Michaels and, and have the experience I had with him. And a lot of you were involved in that in terms of like you had something emotionally invested in me having that conversation and, and hoping that it goes well. And it did. And I think we all feel better for it. It's glad that happened. That was a hell of a hell of an interview. Barack Obama, hell of an interview. Lauren Michaels, hell of an interview this year. Terry Gross, transcendent. But back to what I was saying, if I'm going to be honest, okay, if I'm going to be honest, Keith Richards, Keith Richards wins. Keith Richards, Keith Richards was in my mind and in my heart since I was 13 years old. And I think if you listen to that episode, I don't know what you would call that. I don't know if you would call it an interview. I don't like using the word interview. I much prefer the word talk. I had a talk with that guy. That was a good talk. I don't really think of myself as an interviewer. 
But if you listen to me and Keith Richards, I, I had to do everything to keep myself from crying with excitement and joy. And uh, at all of them, for me personally, as a kid, as an artist, and as a grown-up, that was the one. That was the, that was the one. They were all amazing. But I sat across from Keith Richards and we had a cigarette together. We had a talk and it was phenomenal. Never in my life would I have thought that I would hang out with Keith Richards and you guys would hear it, even if it was a little embarrassing. But look, there's been a lot of interviews this year. You know, there's just, there's been a lot of amazing things happen. And, and really, if someone asks me, What's your favorite one? What's this or that? I don't really have them because they're all different and they're all unique. I, I mentioned those four because they were sort of amazing life achievements for me, amazing experiences that I never thought would happen. But but all of the interviews, there's very rarely any that I don't come away with something amazing. Something changes in me. I learn something. I feel something. I I I I I I, I I have a human experience I would never have had before. There's so many that are amazing. And we we put together uh, a bit of a montage here. And these are just these are just moments with people like Melanie Linsky who who I love and who I loved on screen and I never I never thought I'd get to talk to Melanie Linsky. That was amazing. Paul Thomas Anderson. Nobody talks to Paul Thomas Anderson. Another amazing experience that day david byrne are you fucking kidding me i was so nervous before david byrne kurt metzger a buddy of mine a comic had one of the great interviews this year that i thought was uh you know powerful educational intense funny mike watt are you fucking kidding me mike watt i had no idea what it'd be like to talk to that guy it was like talking to a man from another planet a good planet laura jane grace the punk rocker transgender person and i was you know awkward but we worked through a lot of stuff her and i sir ian mckellen come on Wyatt Sinek, that was a monumental interview james taylor there's so those are I, i'll throw together some clips of those people but you know i can't it's a very hard thing for me to do they're just all so amazing to me i don't know if i could live if i didn't get to talk to people twice a week in this garage it's become more than a show it's become more than a business it always was when it comes right down to it every year every time i got to walk out here and talk to somebody i usually don't know i may have an idea of i don't know what's going to happen i'm not really that prepared and i'm not just saying that as some sort of cute thing that I say. Yeah, Marin's never prepared. I try not to fucking prepare because I want to have a good talk. I want to have a connected talk. And it's like, it's not like therapy. It's just good for the soul to have a conversation. Maybe you should do that this New Year's. Take a little time to just sit down and maybe spend an hour with someone in your family. Just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take an hour and I'm going to talk to this person I've known all my life but I really don't know anything about, or I'm going to talk to this person that interests me that I really don't know anything about. I see them every day. Feel it. I'm not just doing this for a, for a job. If I don't talk to somebody for an hour or so, at least once or twice a week, I start to get squirrely and lost and disconnected from, from being a human. Okay. Listen to this. 
Well, you've got some grandkids, right? You got, you got five. Five. Yeah. Do you love hanging out with them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's worth it's worth hanging around to be a granddad. You know. Yeah. Did you ever think you would? I mean, it's well, a- at certain times, no. You know, but um, here I am, and there's five grandkids, and they're and it's another thing. You know, it takes you on another level. It's one thing being a father, which is like fun he, enough. <laughs> you, you had a couple shots at that. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. sets. Yeah, two sets yeah. of that, and uh, and, uh, and out they come, you know. But they're they're the great little kids. Yeah. And, uh, what do they have I a mean, name for you? Uh, Just grandpa or granddad or uh, what do they call you? Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, him. Him. <laughs> <laughs> I was bulimic for ten years. And I was never like a bingey bulimic because mm-hmm. I was too ashamed to ever like binge eat. I'd never, <laughs> but I had a, such a strict diet. And then if I ate anything over it, then I would yeah get rid of it. Right. And I just was obsessive about my eating. And I got in a relationship when I was 21 and I really opened up to this person and he said to me, that's so violent what a violent thing to do to yourself and I never really had thought about it like I remember when I was 12 years old and I read about it I was like oh great idea that's I was that's all yeah and my body was changing and I was freaking out because suddenly I had hips and breasts and Mm. stuff like that and I was like oh god help me like it's just gonna get worse like there's more fat bits (laughs) that I have to worry about (laughs) fuck yeah and so I was you know trying to control it um, and this boyfriend that I had was just like, God, that's so, and, and then he started crying and he was like, that breaks my heart that you would do that to yourself. It breaks my heart that you can't like eat, like yeah. experience something delicious. Like we'd go out to dinner and I would have a salad with no dressing. Like that's all I would ever eat. I still had a lot of feelings about my body, but it just sort of got better and better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, oh, that's kind of sexy. Yeah. It's all round and, you know, bouncy. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I don't know why I was denying that for so long. I, you know, I was so excited to be able to see all my ribs, really. Not everyone's supposed to look like that. Those women are beautiful and, every, you know, it's beautiful when everyone looks different. So you work with... Philip Seymour Hoffman in all, in all three of those first movies. Yeah. All the way through. We did so you, uh, five movies, I think. So you guys came up together, really. Where did you first meet yeah, him? Yeah, but he'd started before me. Uh, he, he, he'd he been around. Uh, you know, by starting out, we all kind of started out together. It was Riley or, or Phil, but they had a little bit more of a, a resume underneath them. Right. Uh, which was really helpful. Even if you, they made four or five films, that was more than I'd done. Right. So when we were starting out, you know, they had my back and they were really helpful just in you know from like that's where craft service is <laughs> to you know the simplest things through just just having a few movies under your belt makes makes a big difference sure but you know phil was like you know he maybe had a long list of kind of not so great movies but he would always be the best thing in it you know so you just liked him yeah 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 yeah. Um, I mean, early on. I mean, obviously, as time went on. But as an actor, you thought when you cast him in Heart Eight and in, and in Boogie Nights, you were like, you know, this guy's it. I 
thought that when I saw him for the first time in Scent of a Woman, that I that I just knew what true love was. I knew what love at first sight was, and it was the strangest feeling sitting in a movie theater thinking, uh, he's for me and I'm for him, you know, and that was it. Really? Yeah, strange. But that's, and I, believe me, when I was a kid, I was, you sort of draw out, like, you know, yourself, you know, like movie cameras and sets, just like eight, nine years old, and, and nowhere in it did I draw anything that looked like him, you know, I was thought, right. like, I'd have, like, Cary Grant would be in my movie, right. Harrison Ford. right. But something happened when I saw him. Really? Yeah. When you say you don't have a nostalgic bone in your body, what does that mean, really? I don't look back as like, oh, that was a golden age, or things were better when New York was was right. shittier, or um, <laughs> not at all. You don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't do that. Um, I mean, there were certain. You can look at certain things and go, there was that was a good aspect uh, at a certain time, but. I don't look at it like, oh, things were better then. When you, when you think of the talking heads, because do you, does it just feel far away? Uh, no, no, it feels, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it feels like, oh, that was something I did at that point in my life. Um, I'm aware that a certain, certainly a certain generation knows more of that stuff than they know what I've right. done in the last sure, 10 years. Sure. But it depends. There's other people who know what I did recently more than they know the old stuff. It was kind of like, oh, you did, you were in a band before this? And, um, oh, really? There's a little bit of it. Not that much, but there's a little bit. <laughs> and what do you say to that? You're like, yeah, I had a thing. It's not yeah, a- yeah, it was a thing. <laughs> and, uh, it was, and then I go, it was, yeah, it was pretty popular for a while. <laughs> what did you realize at that time that many people don't even realize now? I wanted, I wanted interesting work. I wanted to fall in love with work and I wanted to fall in love with, a person and you know I'm lucky I had both and was your husband your first love um now that I really know what love is I'd say hmm. yes hmm. It, but, but but what was the other thing well <laughs> I mean I I, I mean I, I oh this gets really personal I mean I, I was I was married before and for how long um a short time and we were very close and it was <laughs> It was a year, maybe? A year. I, I, I don't... Right, how old it, were you? It was a very close relationship. Let's and, relax a little bit. And it makes me nervous to talk how, about... How, how old were you with the first I was marriage? very young. Oh, we were still in college. Did your parents know about that? Yeah, they did. They were okay, they were okay with it? Uh, they were okay, as okay as parents were at the time. <laughs> My parents weren't okay with anything I was doing then. I dropped out of high school and hitchhiked cross-country with him before we were married. Whoa, we, What? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, this is before you went to college, or this is you while we were in out college. Of high in my in... sophomore year, instead of going to college, we hitchhiked cross country. You and this guy? Me and this guy. What, where's this guy now? In New York. Oh, you know him still? We haven't been in touch in a long time, but okay. Yeah. Well, surprise! We happen to have him. No, he's a, <laughs> no, he's he's a wonderful person. I mean, I have nothing but I. He's, he's really a wonderful person. Um, I know. I, I'm just yeah. like, you have to understand that. Like, you know, a lot of us have uh, created a life for you, Terry. And this is all, <laughs> this is exciting information. This is what we're, you know, I, you know, we can, you know, be funny and, and just brush over stuff all night long. But this is exciting stuff to me. <laughs> and then my mom converted at 18 because she was a disillusioned Catholic. And so she found Jehovah's Witnesses, which I think really kind of satisfied whatever needs she had. What needs are those? How did the Jehovah's... I don't understand what they do. 
Like in in terms of Catholicism, was Catholicism too abstract or too vague or too complicated? Or it, probably it, all that. Probably wasn't all that. finding the relief from going into the booth. <laughs> <laughs> I probably all that. I yeah. probably. <laughs> That's probably a good way to put it. The guy behind the, the screen is not helping me. The wizard is not helping me. This uh, glory hole forgiveness is not helping me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think she wanted the more personalized uh, Protestant God over the, uh, you know, the the ethnic pagan right. fucking thing that she was doing. So she. Uh, but isn't the Jehovah's Witnesses like uh, the no dancing troop? No, no, no. That's <laughs> that's Footloose you're thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's the Footloose Church that you. <laughs> no, Jehovah's Witnesses is uh, like it, it's an. It's actually used to be no holidays. Uh, well, not not most of them. Right, the ones that are considered pagan, which would be like Christmas. Okay, but you Easter. can you can dance. Yes, you can dance. <laughs> but uh, you know they have their own peculiarity. Like we didn't believe in an immortal soul, for example. They believe we believed in a resurrection. Okay, like at the end times or whatever, they, it, people will be ra- brought back to life, and you'll live in the in the Garden of Eden again. They have a show that depicts that now. What is it? Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. I guess Christ wasn't really a zombie till his thirties, right? Right. I gotta tell you, when I was laying there, you know, with the fevers, and there was no conk. It was just delirium, delirium, delirium. I was like, you know. In those kind of situations, you got to really pull it together, I think, because it's like, why not end the hurt and let yeah. go? Yeah. But on the other hand, I had all these things. See, that's the thing. When a, a hurt, a sickness comes down on you, you think you got enough time, but it just makes you so weak. You you might not. Yeah, you don't but, have but you, time. So, But I just said, fuck it. I yeah. got a lot of work. To, I can't go now. So, and then also, the difference with this, this intern, Doc Opp. Yeah. I put him in the opera, in fact. He's, you know, because they all got their theories. They got only one real right. doctor. But you got a hole in your tank. I know, So, but they got theories. Yeah. Some dudes think it's flesh-eating bacteria. Some right, dudes right, think right, it's right, gangrene. Right. Doc Hopkins, he says, yeah. he, I think you got the mother of all abscesses. I think this might have started from an ingrown fucking hair that should have been lanced. No shit. <laughs> Holy fuck. And you know the way county was in those days. All these people—it's enough for the money. All these people from all the world come there to get experience. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you're there because they wanna. Right. They ain't punching a claw. It's like in the music racket. Some cats who win the lottery—the last thing they want to talk about is music. You know. Right. Then there's right. notice when cats are first into it, a big higher percentage if they really want to do it. Yeah. It's a human thing. Yeah. So I ain't against doctors. Like I said, this cat saved my life. What has it been? Two years. Uh, 2012 is when I came out. So right? three years, but remember. since yeah. you've you know actively been doing the therapies to transition, it's been uh-huh. like three years. Yeah, like now that you've sort of started this thing, are you like, oh, okay, or do you are you looking to do more? I feel like that I have a much better understanding of of what I need and what makes me feel right than I did three years ago. Certainly more than I did 10 years ago, right. 20 years ago. Right. But I feel like that in another three years, another four years, another five years, I will even have an even better understanding of who I am and what I need. Uh-huh. I don't think that that's something that you can ever fully feel uh, like complete with or anything like really? that. Or at least for me. Huh. Okay. I am an existentialist, you know, and I like I oftentimes feel locked in thinking about things and thinking about the bigger th- picture of things and what certain things mean. And 
you know, I don't know how to reconcile with my life beyond where my tour dates end. Yeah. And, and that that's like, I live a really weird life. I know. know? But like, like, what if you were to quiet it down? I mean, what do you like? I I, like, see, like I'm a guy, I'm a recovery guy. So I, I, Mm -hmm. I haven't done shit in like 15, 16 years. You know, that, that was my problem. Right. But do I feel whole and complete all the time? No, I feel better about myself. I feel comfortable in my skin, but there's still something like, you know, what does it all mean? What's the fucking point? Yeah. So, you know, that hasn't gone away. No, I very much still have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's there. I don't want that to go away in a way, you know? Like, I know. I think that's, well, that's healthy. Sure it is. Yeah, but you should have some peace of mind. Yeah. I mean, it's a trip, you know, like... And I, like, I can't imagine, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I can't imagine that, like, it took me, like, you know, years. Like, I don't think I arrived in my body uh, until maybe five or six years ago, just, you know, when I started to get successful and feel like that I'd, I'd worked very hard all my life to do something. I did. It was a self-esteem problem. Sure. You know, and it, and it just it sort of happened organically, but I felt it happen. So I, I imagine on, on some level that, you know, you taking this, you know, this making this transition has given you some of that. I mean, your, your self-esteem must be better and your comfort 100%, level. 100%. Yeah. My problems now, I guess, are more just like normal problems of like, oh, I'm going through another divorce, you know? And like, yeah. oh, I got to deal with the fact that like I work and I travel and I have a kid and how do I balance like traveling life with having a kid and being able to be a part of my kid's life when I'm not necessarily getting along with the mother, you know, like those are just like the realities of life that everyone has. Those are minimal problems to what other people's problems are. Uh, I'm going to give you a bit of Shakespeare. Okay. I'm going to give you a little present. Thank you. The leading character is called Thomas More, and Thomas More is a lawyer, and he's sent out uh, by the authorities to put down a riot that's happening in the middle of London, and the riot is all about the strangers and they're amidst uh, immigrants. Yeah. People with eat food, smells different, uh-huh. they look different, uh-huh. wear different clothes, different language, and uh, better send them back wherever they came from. And this is how it goes. They, uh, so someone in the crowd shouts that the strangers should be removed. And Thomas Moore says, grant them removed. And grant that this your noise hath chid down all the majesty of England. Imagine that you see the wretched strangers, their babies at their backs, with their poor luggage plodding to the ports and coasts for transportation. And that you sit as kings in your desires, authority quite silenced by your brawl, and you in rough of your opinions clothed. What had you got? I'll tell you. You had taught how insolence and strong hand should prevail, how order should be quelled. And by this pattern, not one of you should live an aged man, for other ruffians, as their fancies wrought, with self-same hand, self-reasoned and self-right, would shark on you, and men like ravenous fishes feed on one another. Oh, desperate as you are, wash your foul minds with tears and those same hands that you like rebels lift against the peace, lift up for peace. And your unreverent knees make them your feet to kneel to be forgiven. You'll put down strangers, kill them, cut their throats, and lead the majesty of law in lime to slip him like a hound. 
Say that the king, as he is clement, if the offender mourn, should so much come too short of your great trespass as but to banish you. Whither would you go? What country, by the nature of your error, should give you harbour? Go you to France, or Flanders, to any German province, Spain, or Portugal? Nay, anywhere that not adheres to England. Why, you must needs be strangers. Would you be pleased to find a nation of such barbarous temper that breaking out in hideous violence would not afford you an abode on earth? Whet their detested knives against your throat. Spurn you like dogs, and like as if that God owned not nor made not you, nor that the elements were not all appropriate to your comfort, but chartered unto them. What would you think to be thus used? This is the stranger's case, and this your mountainish inhumanity. That's amazing. Uh, and he said, you know, I'd love for you to be at the last show because you helped to build this thing. And so I was like, I appreciate that. And, you know, I still don't know if I'm going to show up. But uh, When is it? August 6th. So you should just go. Probably. Yeah. But it's also one of those things where it's I don't really I don't really get into the emotion of that stuff. I don't I don't uh like I've the pomp and circumstance doesn't really No, I get you, I get you. But uh you know, but do it for the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh yeah, I suppose that's uh see I don't I don't have the connection to an audience the way that you do where it's like you know, you're sending them books and doing all that stuff. But you don't know you do. But I mean, to the people that love that show, may have watched every day. Every oh, sure, show. sure, sure, sure. So you know, whether you whether you think you have that connection or not, they're going to be like, "There's Wyatt." Right, right. You know. But I think it's just I'm such a I'm I'm such a sort of anti mushy person that it's like even if like if somebody's like, "There's Wyatt," I'm like, "Oh, God. yeah." But dude, if I can learn how to take a little of the love in, <laughs> you. <laughs> You know, and I was a tough nut to crack. You can <laughs> you can take a little of the love. I guess, yeah. Steve Higgins was there. I walk in and you said, um, uh, how was Conan last night? Did they laugh? Did they laugh at you? It's better when they laugh. And that was nice. It was nice. I was scared. And you'd done, and you'd done Conan the night right. before. Right, yes. Okay. And then I sat down, and then uh, you, you, did, you used a zoo analogy for uh -huh. comedians. Have you yeah, used yeah. that before? monkeys and all that yeah. <laughs> yes yeah yeah so that's a regular thing no it wasn't a regular thing it was just my sort of beginning to piece together where comedians stood in hollywood right the the, the lions are scary when you go to the zoo yeah the first first uh thing you want to see is the lion because the lion is the king of the jungle and uh and uh it has it's regal yeah and uh, the second thing you want to see are the bears because right. they're the strongest and the fastest. Right. And the third, you want to see the monkeys because they're funny and occasionally one of them jerks off. Right. And yeah. what I said, I don't think you had added the jerk off line yet because uh -huh. I said as long as they're not throwing their shit at you. Yeah. Got nothing. Yeah. Got nothing, no laugh no. from you. Yeah. Well, I would have gone softer as you saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and Steve Higgins was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going well already. <laughs> and did you know Steve before? Kinda. I yeah. met him once or twice. Like on the scene. Right. And yeah. then you just looked at me for a little while. Uh-huh. 
and uh, and I and and Steve actually went Lauren, and you said it's um, it's uh, it's important to look in someone's eyes. You can see a lot uh-huh. in someone's eyes. And then I was trying to exude uh-huh. some star quality of some kind, right? Which it was not successful. God, you really remember this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember it. Yeah. And then I, there, in my recollection, there was a smaller bowl of candy, and uh, yeah, that's the yeah. Tootsie Roll one. But it, yeah. it's a Jolly Rancher in my mind. No, would have been would have been Tootsie Rolls. Well, I remember yeah. I took one, and at yeah. that moment, you shot a look at Steve, and, and I thought I'd failed the candy test. Oh yeah, no, no, there was no candy. <laughs> there was no no alternative candy. There was just the one. There was popcorn probably there or right. there. No, no, I didn't get popcorn. Yeah, and then I had a motorcycle accident, broke both my hands and both my feet. Jesus so Christ! I was, I was in, uh, you know, I missed Woodstock. I was in, I was in plaster. Uh, uh, Where'd you go back to Chapel Hill or no, New York? I, I went to Martha's Vineyard, which is where I was living at the time. After I got out of, uh, uh, you know, rehab, I I went to the vineyard because that's what I knew. So know. before Sweet Baby James, you couldn't use your hands or your feet. That's right, and and I think that period of time really allowed me to finish some songs. You know, yeah, get, get the lyrics. Yeah, and uh, so that when we went into the studio to make Sweet Baby James, we we had everything. Yeah, you know, we had it. It was all ready to go and you'd really thought about him and we we had this great band yeah and uh and we knocked it out fast and then a fire and rain took off and um you know we uh we hit the road and and that's where i stayed that's a great feeling man fire and rain was a huge song it was uh i, I was you know i i was it was amazing it, it was um it's a painful song you know, in a way, but uh, I I think um, it's not painful to listen to. No, no, no. You know? I mean, there's a transcendent spirit I mean, to for it. For some people, it is. I'm sure. But uh, well, yeah, it's one of those songs that like can be played at, at a wedding or a funeral. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I was walking around, you know, talking to my neighbors. People were out in the streets, like the Fourth of July around here. Mm. And then at seven o'clock, you came. And then the Secret Service started to come. And we were told that you know he's gonna you know he's gonna fly, right from Santa Monica in a chopper yeah. to the Rose Bowl. That's right, and which was good thing to do because yeah. like if he chose to drive the motorcade all throughout Los Angeles, it would have stopped everything. Yeah, and and the night you were already <clears throat> being uh, uh, called out by name on the radio. Yeah, Marin caused a traffic jam. Yes. talking to the president, and I felt you know I felt kind of bad about that, and I was apologetic <laughs> to my neighbors, but everybody around here was very excited that the yeah. president was coming, but. The countdown begins. You know, I'm going over the notes. We're setting things up. We're trying to cool the place down. Secret Service is doing their things. It was wild when I, all the Secret Service was here. And then like an hour or so after they all showed up, the two snipers come. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they were I came in a special car, but I just saw two dudes walk up and I'm like, those are the guys. Yeah, there were, one of those guys was what the guy who was on the roof the other day. On yeah. the roof of this garage. And uh, yeah, there were two of them. Today. So in they, my restroom was the only restroom for all the Secret Service, which yeah. was... Which I always feel bad about because the door's broken. Yeah, that sniper brought all his gear into your bathroom. Oh, no, the too. gun and everything. Yeah, Went yeah. right in with him. Yeah. Not going to lose that thing. Yeah. What I've always been impressed about by, uh, when I when I listen to comics talk about comedy mm-hmm. is how much of it is a craft, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And they're thinking it through. And, it's, uh, and, and they have a sense of when it works and when it doesn't. And then the longer you do it, the better your instincts are. Same with president. Yeah, same with president. <laughs> and, and, and also... Uh, I guess the last thing is you lose you lose fear. That's right. I I, I was talking to somebody the, the other day um, uh, about why I actually think I'm 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 a better president 
and would be a better candidate if I were running again than I ever have been. And it's sort of like an athlete. You, you might slow down a little bit. You might uh, not jump as high right. as you used to. But I know what I'm doing, and I'm fearless. For real. You're not pretending right. to You're be fearless. You're not pretending to be fearless. That's exactly right. right. And, and when you get to that point. Freedom. Then, you know. And, and also part of that fearlessness is because you've screwed up enough times. Sure. That you know that. It's all it's, happened. It's it's all happened. I've I've been through this. Right. I've I've screwed up. Right. I've, I've been in the barrel tumbling down Niagara Falls. Yeah. And uh, and you, you know, I emerged and I lived. And and that's always a uh, that's such a liberating feeling. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's one of the benefits of uh, of age. It almost compensates for the fact that I can't play basketball anymore. <laughs> well, good. All right. Well, thank. It was great to talk to you. There we good. We're good. That was fun. I, I appreciate it, Mr. President. It was great. All right, man. That's it, folks. Happy New Year. Be safe. Uh, I, I should tell you, the remixes of my guitar riffs were done by DJ Copley and Paul Buck. They've been doing these for us all year. Check out DJ at WebPuppy45 on Twitter and Paul at Paul Buck Music on Facebook. Our theme music, as always, is by uh, John Montagna. Check him out at John Mon on Twitter, J-O-N-M-O-N. Seriously, let's try to get through another year together. We can do it. Also, just remember, you're probably not as bad as you think you are.